0: In this one today. so uh, welcome back to our uh, summer series uh, where we are just uh, putting the church and the things of the church under investigation. Last time we were here just last week, we saw the church is much more than a building. The church is the people. The church is not a country club either. it's, it's this group of people all over the world that gather not around a, an idea, not even around a religious idea but around the person, the exalted and risen Jesus Christ. We saw that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church will last forever. We are God's number one plan to take the gospel of Jesus to a lost and dying world. And there is no plan B. And so the question that I hope to answer today is, what is our role as the church? Now, if you are like me, you would agree uh, progress is good. Uh, anytime anyone starts to build something new, whether it's a house or a business, it's always interesting to see the progress and, and, and how it all comes to completion. Well, with that in mind, um, we're going to be in the book of Haggai today. Haggai. And Haggai is kind of a, a difficult, difficult uh, book to, to find, it's close to the end of the Old Testament. Uh, this message is inspired by a, a Right Now Media study that we looked at on uh, on our Wednesday Night Bible studies back in the in the spring. Uh, if you don't have Right Now Media, it is our gift to you. It's kind of been uh, compared to the Christian Netflix, and uh, so the, the number has changed. Now you just uh, text POTOSI to 49775, and that is yours as a gift from this church. Uh, so... Progress is good. What we're going to add to our definition of the church today is that it is the most glorious building project in the world, the most glorious building project in the world. And God calls us to be a part of it as we open the book of Haggai today. God's people had repeatedly ignored the warnings of the prophets to get on the right track and worship God alone. And so finally, when they would not, God sent Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in 586 BC to invade and completely devastate Jerusalem. And history tells us that God's people were taken captive for 70 years. Now, after 70 years, even though Cyrus was now king, God allowed the people to return to their homeland and begin rebuilding the temple. At the beginning of chapter 1, they have been back in their land for some 16 years. They had laid the foundation of the temple, but because of opposition, they neglected to completely finish it. So just picture a bunch of concrete footings that have been sitting there for about a decade and a half. That's, that's what's going on here, except this was not just any house, this was God's house. You will notice a third king, Darius, as we begin Haggai 1.1. 1, 1. If you're able, please stand out of respect for the word of God as we read verses 1-11. through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but I indeed gave, it indeed came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit, for I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains on the grain and the, on the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So let's first notice who gave this message to Haggai. There in verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the who? It's the Lord. Yeah, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. The word of the Lord, the next blanks on your outline. This name uh, is Jehovah, and we know that names in the Bible are, are very important. So this is Jehovah. This is Yahweh. It's a word so holy and reverent that they wouldn't even pronounce it in this day. Jehovah is the self-existent one who needs absolutely nothing for anything. He doesn't have to call in backup for anything. Nothing catches him off guard. He doesn't have to figure anything out. He already knows. He is Jehovah. And when Jehovah speaks, we do well to listen. He's also referred to as the Lord of hosts. That's Jehovah Sabioth. It means the God of angel armies. It means that he is the commander of the armies of heavenly angel warriors. And it's not that he needs them, but if he chooses, he can command them to go and fight, and they will go and fight and win. And so this is the God who speaks to and through Haggai. And it's the same God that speaks to us today, the same God that wants to speak to us each and every day, Not just when we're here, but every other day of the week through his word. So what's the message? What word did he give to Haggai? It's repeated twice in verses 5 and 7. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You can write that down. Consider your ways. The song that we used to sing as kids comes to my mind. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh Be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Basically, oh, be careful, little heart, what you believe. Consider your ways. And So what way were they going? It's in verses 2 through 4. The people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? And so what we see is that God's own people, they were not excited about building the church. They were excited about their own houses and their own agendas. but They were not excited about God's. The next blank on your outline, they were more interested in self-comfort Than obedience. They were more interested in self comfort than obedience, and so God said to his people, Consider your ways, because the choices that you have made have not taken you to the place that you want to be. Verse 5. Therefore, consider your way," says the Lord of hosts. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. In other words, the next blank on your outline. Life wasn't good for God's people because they decided to get on the hamster wheel and pursue the things of the world while neglecting the things of God. And they soon found out What they were pursuing was not bringing significance or satisfaction or contentment. And it's not that when we serve God, we get whatever we want. Because don't hear me saying that because that is simply not true. But they didn't find contentment and significance and satisfaction in pursuing their own agenda. And church, neither will we. It's part of the message God is telling his people. The things that you are most concerned about are leaving you empty. And this is not my plan for your life. Their own homes looked good on the outside, even though they were working themselves to the bone and still lacking. Consider this, the next blank on your outline. In neglecting God's work, they were neglecting God's glory. In neglecting God's work, they were neglecting God's glory. You ever think about that before? It kind of it stings deeply to me. I mean, when we look at the end of the story, the church is glorious. It's only by God's grace. And one day when the Lamb makes everything right, all will be well. But how often do we forget, as the church today, we are supposed to be bringing him glory now? Thus says the Lord of hosts Consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Perhaps we are not concerned with God's church because we're not concerned with pleasing God. And we're not concerned with God's glory. Deep down in our hearts, maybe we're less concerned about unity and serving and growing this church. Because we're less concerned about pleasing God and his glory. History tells us that God had worked multiple areas to free his people. So that they could serve him like He designed them to. But they had since gone back to bondage of their own sinful desires, neglecting what God had called them to do. Just like us, many of us, we have freedom in Christ, but we return to bondage in pursuing our sinful desires. And always know, I'm preaching to myself, We return to bondage believing the lies that Satan tells us. We willingly return to bondage by telling God what we're going to do and then expecting Him to bless it instead of asking Him what He wants us to do. And then we wonder where God is and if He's even real. We end up with a lot of regrets. I wonder how many of us that God would say today, consider your Ways. Be careful, little heart, what you believe and what you pursue, because your heart is not headed in the right direction. Life so easily turns from serving the God who created all things to the things He created. Consider your ways. Matthew five, thirteen through sixteen. Our purpose as the church is to be the light of Christ for God's glory. Our purpose is to build upon the foundation of the gospel. Build His kingdom upon the foundation of what Jesus has done. And when we do that here, that's when God is pleased. We do that by by building up this group of believers, by by serving, by doing what God has called us to do as individuals. And then we we do that by leaving this place and going out and living on mission. I get an email every once in a while from a group called OpenDoorsUSA.org. That is an organization that is dedicated to supporting and telling the stories of persecuted Christians around the world. Their homepage reads like this. A woman in India watches as her sister is dragged off by Hindu nationalists. She doesn't know if her sister is alive or dead. A man in North Korea in a North Korean prison camp is shaken awake after being beaten unconscious. The beatings begin again. A woman in Nigeria runs for her life. She has escaped from Boko Haram. Who kidnapped her? She is pregnant, and when she returns home, her community will reject her and her baby. A group of children are laughing and talking as they come down to their church's sanctuary after eating together. Instantly, many of them are killed by a bomb blast. It's Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka. These people don't live in the same region or even the same continent, but they share an important characteristic. They're all Christians. And they suffer because of their faith. While Christian persecution takes many forms, it's defined as hostility experienced as a result of identification with Jesus Christ. And from Sudan to Afghanistan, from Nigeria to North Korea, from Colombia to India, followers of Christianity are targeted for their faith. They're attacked. They're discriminated against at work and school. They risk sexual violence, torture, and much more. In just the last year, there have been over 360 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 5,898 Christians killed for their faith. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings attacked. 4,765 believers detained without trial, arrest, sentenced, or imprisoned. And these numbers are heartbreaking, and yet they don't tell the whole story. Like Deborah's story. She gave credit to Jesus in a chat room for helping her pass her exams. When she refused to take it down, she was stoned to death, and her body burned by a mob of her Muslim classmates. Pastor Johanna died from machete wounds when a Muslim mob attacked his home, church, and school, burning them to the ground. Bridget, a 74-year-old wife of a pastor, was beaten and clubbed to death for asking a Muslim man engaged in a ritualistic Islamic cleansing to move his ritual from her shop front. Reverend Emmanuel and his pregnant wife, Juliana, shot and killed at their farm, at their church. They were parents of eight, expecting their ninth. And on and on they go. Stories of kids, teenagers, and adults, all standing up for their faith in Jesus, even in death. And yet we, as Americans under no real threat of death, any of these threats. So many times we just have a hard time serving and getting, getting up and doing something for God, serving His church, building His church, the most glorious building project in the world. And these are not meant to guilt any of us but they serve as an inspiration to prioritize the things of God, to continue to move the gospel of Jesus forward, to continue to live on mission right here in our community. We close with this. In Mark 5, there is a story that answers a question, okay, so when? When are we called to go? When are we called to serve? When are we called to uh, play our role within the church? So in Mark 5, listen as we read 1 through 20. Uh, then they came to the other side of the, of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And the, the man answered, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send, out, send them out to the, uh, out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. And so all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the, and in the country. And they went out to, the sea, to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And Then they began to plead with him, depart, to depart from their region. When he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go to your home, to your friends, and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. You are more than likely familiar with this this story. This man was demon-possessed. They couldn't keep him chained up. He wouldn't stay clothed. He lived among the tombs. And When he met Jesus, Jesus changed his life and set him completely free. He commanded the demons to go from the man into the, the pigs at the hillside. And when they did, the pigs ran off into the sea, and they drowned. And so, a part of the story that we sometimes miss, the guys that were watching the pigs, they ran back to tell everyone what happened. And when they came back, the one who had, had just been demon-possessed 20 minutes earlier was sitting clothed and in his right mind talking to Jesus. And when Jesus got up to leave, the man begged him, to go with him. But what did Jesus tell him? He said, no, you go back home. You go to your friends. That word Decapolis was a, a region of ten cities. Go to these ten cities and tell them what God has done for you. And so he did. And so the, the question, when are we called to go and be witnesses? How long do we have before we're, we're supposed to get to work? To tell people about what God has done in our lives to build the kingdom of God. About as long as it took the herdsman to go to town and tell people and for them to come back and see him in his right mind. 20 minutes, maybe. We can round that up to immediately. The moment that Jesus changed his life he was equipped to go and tell others about him. He was equipped to build the kingdom of God. Just like you and I are equipped to go and tell others. And we're equipped to build the kingdom of God after we come to faith. We're equipped by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that lives within us as temples of the Holy Spirit. When you hear those words, consider your ways. What comes to mind? Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? When you hear consider your ways, what is God saying to you through His Word? When you hear that we are equipped to build the kingdom, to build the church, what is God saying to you? When you hear that, it's immediate. He didn't have to go to seminary. He didn't get a degree. He didn't even get to sit in Sunday school for years and years and years. He was supposed to go right then, immediately. What's God calling you to do? Lord, we come to you once again just thanking you for... For this church family. Lord, you are you you bless us beyond measure. And Lord, we, we see your activity in our lives as individuals. We see you doing things in this church that only you could do. So we thank you for our church family. But Lord, give us hearts for your church, or to find out where we belong, where you would have us to serve, that we would consider our ways, go to the mountains and get the wood to build your church. Lord, we acknowledge it's the most glorious building project in all the world. And most of the things that we, we can spend our time on here in this world do not compare. So, Father, give us hearts for your church. Lord, I thank you that you uh, speak to our hearts uh, well beyond what the messenger says. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that does that. And so I lift up those who are here this morning with burdens Maybe they're here and they're just distracted by everything that's been going on in life. Lord, give them the faith that they need. Help them not to waver. Help them to hear your voice. Take us in the right way, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his awesome name that we pray. Amen.